0: Hey, passive investors, today I am talking with Ashley Wilson, who is a rock star asset manager and personal friend of mine. Now, as the show progresses, it may sound like some of this information is more pertinent to people who are actually operating the assets, which may not be you. But as a passive investor, you should know how this role works, especially in this market where asset managers are the ultimate factor in success or failure of an investment. And towards the end of the show, we'll dive into some actionable ways that you, as a passive investor, can screen your operator's asset management team. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential, learn about passive real estate investing, so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Hey, investors, thanks for coming back for another episode of Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am excited to sit down with Bigger BiggerPockets series host and author, Ashley Wilson of Bar Down Investments. Now, Ashley began her real estate career investing in short-term and long-term rentals and started flipping houses in Philadelphia while she was living in Europe before shifting her focus to larger multifamily properties. She's been involved in over forty million dollars of real estate and has overseen over five million dollars in construction. Today, she focuses on both flipping houses and operating large multifamily properties as the asset and construction manager. So Ashley, we're excited to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, so this is really exciting. The first thing that just kind of leaps out uh, on the page when people read that or or in listeners' ears is, you're flipping houses while living in an entirely different continent. I think that's something that is extraordinarily impressive. And so how did you manage that? How are you able to do something that's so hands-on and be, of course, that far away from the properties and still be successful?
1: It's amazing what anyone can accomplish when they're put in a situation and forced to figure out a solution. Yeah. So, And that was my situation. I was living abroad and I... I just uh, resigned from working in uh, clinical R&D for a major pharmaceutical company, GlaxoSmithKline, and I couldn't sit still, I guess. We always wanted to go full-time into real estate. We were investing in real estate on the side while my husband and I both worked, and it was the perfect opportunity to pursue real estate. I had a lot of time on my hands. I had a lot of good connections. My father's a general contractor, so he was a perfect partner to start this venture with, and it made perfect sense at the time. I'm really glad I did it. What was surprising is you can actually do absolutely everything from afar. So that was something that was really shocking to me, but I was able to schedule the contractors, do the design layout, what are all the materials, purchase the homes, um, sell the homes, uh, really everything. With leveraging technology,
0: yeah, and so when when you are you know looking at projects nowadays, or you see other operators you know wanting to let's say flip homes, and maybe they're remote or maybe another state or a couple hours away, you do you think that that is an obstacle that that is difficult to overcome, or do you think it's it's in today's day and age like there's really nothing that you need to be completely present for, or really in that exact location for, um, or depending on your experience, like how feasible do you think it is for people to be long distance from their investments like that?
1: It's 100% feasible. All of my investments today are long distance. I have to get on a plane to go to all of my investments. But at the end of the day, I think that everything comes down to grit and your people. And if you have the right people and you have grit, you can accomplish anything.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. So um so right now you're focusing on the larger multifamily assets. So how long have you been now from uh, now in the multifamily game?
1: Uh since two thousand eighteen.
0: Okay. So since two thousand eighteen you've been in the multifamily space and predominantly working as kind of that asset and construction manager. So what does the day-to-day of somebody who's filling that role look like?
1: So I, when I first started, I actually leveraged my construction experience to partner with a group that was acquiring 124 unit, and that was my first foray into this space. I quickly realized that the asset slash construction manager was tasked with not only implementing the business plan, but absorbing the reputation of whether or not that business plan was able to be achieved, regardless of whether or not it was feasible from day one. And when I realized that, and I'm very guarded of my reputation, I knew right away that I did not want to have all of the accountability without having the responsibility and the ability to influence the underwriting. So that's when I started Bar Down Investments, which is my company today. And we have acquired over 120 million in real estate to date. So that is something that has completely changed in terms of what I was doing then versus what I'm doing now. I am still heavily involved in asset management and construction management, but I have a team now uh, that handles the day-to-day. Prior to having a team, though, it is pretty heavy if you do it correctly. If you do it correctly. There are a lot of people who over the past few years have relied on the market to carry them through the investment holding I have not. I have spent thousands upon thousands of hours of learning how to do it, and I was in a really difficult situation where I didn't know anything at all. In fact, I relied heavily on every single resource that was available, inclusive of books, YouTube, podcasts, and what I found is that there weren't a lot of resources available. So I started attending conferences and picking the brains of people who claim to know a lot on asset management, and I also realized that the majority of those folks did not know much on asset management because the market had been so strong for such a long period of time. Today, I find myself in an actually a well-situated situation because of the fact that I spent those hours, I did my homework, so to speak, while others coasted. And today, there are a lot of properties that aren't doing well, that are doing having capital calls, in distress situation, potential foreclosures. And we're not even having those discussions because we put in the groundwork from day one. And I think that shows you that you know, if you're a passive investor or active investor, it doesn't matter. There's still an element of work that's needed. And if you do the work up front, it's amazing how much easier it is in the long run. Whereas if you think everything is just hands-off, there's no such thing as a hands-off investment. You have to vet you know, operators, markets, and the asset to make sure that it's the right investment. And as long as you do your homework up front, you could be in a really good situation. But unfortunately, just the way the market has been for such a long time, it's created kind of like a Pavlov's dog scenario where people were rewarded for not really doing anything.
0: Yeah. And I think um, you know, a lot of those skill sets come come to fruition, right? Where now that asset manager is in such high demand. That skill set is in such high demand when before, you know, it, it was finding the deals in high demand because everybody was making so much money. You could buy almost anything and it was probably going to do okay at least. Um, And now, and even money, money was everywhere. Investors were throwing cash as much as they could into deals. So you really didn't have to work that hard to find money and you really didn't have to work that hard to manage the asset. Now we're kind of seeing those roles flip. Now there's deals coming up. Now there's off there's there's uh, true off market opportunities. Now there's real distress situations and those asset manager roles and those capital roles are the ones that are lacking because um, those muscles have just atrophied over the past few years. So yeah, I love the way you put that. So tell us you know for those people listening out there, like what is the difference between an asset manager and a property manager right? Because a lot of people think that the reason why I started the show is because a lot of people will buy property thinking it's totally passive. I'll just have a manager, the manager does everything. You know, I pay them a percentage and they do all the work, but that's not really the case. So can you tell us what's different between someone sitting in that asset manager role versus somebody who's maybe an outsourced or a vertically integrated property manager?
1: A property manager manages the property and asset manager manages the investment. So a property manager is managing the day-to-day complaints of the tenants, the needs of the tenants. Needs of the property, where the asset manager is managing the business plan, the execution, and protecting and safeguarding the investor's investment.
0: And so, how are the how do those two differ? Because to to maybe those who aren't as seasoned those those could sound like you know, well, if you're taking care of your tenant and you're managing the property, you know, the investment is the property. So I think there's a bit of a disconnect there. Like, how can you explain to that person, like, what are you doing different day to day that is you know separating those two roles out?
1: So a property manager, let's say, for example, that a shower surround is starting to fail. Um, a property manager will listen to the tenant, let's say, and the tenant says, I need a new tub surround. Tub surround and let's say a tub too. Inclusive of that, it's approximately national average around twelve to $1,500 for a replacement. Whereas an asset manager looks at that and says, Okay, well, the average renewal rate is fifty percent, right? So the likelihood of that tenant being there next year is only fifty percent, and we can uh, resurface for between three to four hundred that tub surrounds and still capture the same rent, but it's a lower expense, right? So if you look at even if you round up to five hundred for simplicity and math, sake, say, say five hundred versus fifteen hundred, yeah. the delta is a thousand. So let's say, for example, that you do that, you know, ten times throughout the year. That's ten thousand dollars. Well, ten thousand dollars in a five cap market, you're talking about a two hundred thousand dollar change in evaluation. Yeah. So that's the difference. Is the property manager is looking at it as a one-time one time fifteen hundred dollar fee? An asset manager is looking at it overall on an annualized net operating income, which is one of the three ways in which you can evaluate commercial real estate, is that that's a change in evaluation of $200,000. Yeah. So that's kind of the difference there in terms of we look at the properties as investments and we look at the properties in terms of how do we protect someone's college investment, someone's inheritance, someone's Capital that they're using in retirement? How do we not only safeguard that and protect that, but how do we return that to the investor with friends, right? We want to maximize their returns. And in order to do that, we have to look at the investment and make decisions that will not only keep the tenants happy. You know, we're not saying not to do the work. What we're saying is how do we do the work in an efficient, cost efficient way? that still maximizes the value of the property.
0: Hey, investor, really quickly, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you have topics you want me to cover, questions you want me to answer, or guests who you think would make for a great and educational episode, email me with my email in the show notes to get back to the show. Yeah. I love that explanation. So, really, you know, it could be big picture versus small picture or day-to-day versus hey, what happens to the overall business plan of this property. So, yeah, I think that was a really phenomenal way of putting the differences and even just how the two teams think. Um and so in terms of People who are investing passively into these deals, where the asset manager is such an enormous part of the success of the property, and you just laid out one small decision that could account to six or even seven figures of of return on the back end. What are some of the ways that a passive investor can maybe evaluate the asset management team of of, of a sponsor that they're either invested in now or thinking of investing in?
1: So we actually offer a checklist of questions that you can ask uh, before passive investing. You can shoot us an email on our website at bardowninvestments.com. We're happy to share that guide with you. But some of the top level questions you should be asking is, do they have experience in that market before? If not, who do they have on the team that does or who can they tap into that does Uh, Have they worked with a property management company before? What is that property management's experience? What is their experience on that type of asset? Just because I invest in multifamily, that doesn't mean I might be successful at all different types of multifamily. Sometimes people are very nichey. They They invest in core plus, so maybe new construction uh, or, or stabilized assets or distressed assets. They're all different types of multifamily properties. Um, They're all different types of markets and all of those markets operate in different ways because there are different governing rules um, that affects the property's performance. So you have to take into consideration those variables. I always say that investors tend to look at these three things in this order, which are the returns, the market, and the team, Mm -hmm. and it couldn't be further From the truth on how you should actually vet, you should always vet the team first, the market second, and then the returns third. Because if you have the right team, you have a high likelihood of that deal doing well because the team will figure it out. They will not let the property fail. But if you have a team that is not very well experienced or motivated or some other conflicts, internal issues between partners it doesn't matter how great the market is it doesn't matter how great the asset is because the likelihood of that deal not doing well is very high so to me i would say 90 to 95 percent of the success of every investment comes down to people just like businesses i mean what you're doing we're talking real estate but what we're doing is buying businesses at the end of the day we are buying businesses and trying to make that business operate better so just like you would buy any other business, yes, the product matters, but what if you have great marketing and you have great salespeople and you have uh, great connections, you could probably, you know, as the saying goes, sell ice to an Eskimo, you know? So it really matters about the team more than probably any other single variable.
0: Yeah, uh, I love that. And also love, you know, what you mentioned, because this, this role gets really, really niched down. And the reason why a lot, and a lot of people know that is because I didn't know that when I first got to the commercial game, uh, my first introduction was I actually had an internship at a commercial real estate firm when I was 18 or something like that. And I had a referral, I think it was for a restaurant that was looking to buy some space. And I ran over to tell my brokers, hey, I have a really awesome referral. You know, It's a restaurant looking to buy this space. And he goes, well, I want to really work with restaurants. Give it to another broker. And that like blew my mind because I was coming from residential real estate space where like you would take any listing, it doesn't matter where almost, you know, it's almost pretty much the same. Um, but it, commercial, it's so niche down even to like when, what year was the property built? They're all different business strategies and all those things matter. So yeah, I love the insight there. I mean, when we've talked about this a little bit earlier in the show, like the market is changing so much now that, you know, it's putting some people in trouble and it's showing some different skill sets needing to be successful what are some of the trends you're seeing in the asset manager world now that investors out there should be aware of?
1: A couple of things. One is I think we still have a high aging delinquency across the nation. I think as much as we'd like to say COVID relief programs provided a lot of benefits, and I'm sure they did on on multiple fronts, they also provided a lot of downsides too because we have people who um, got complacent with receiving handouts and therefore you know, we're making more money unemployed than they were employed. So they continued that route. the The money is run out, and even in historically landlord friendly states, we're seeing judges uh, give leeway to anyone who's received COVID assistance at any given time. It doesn't even matter if it's recent or not recent. Um, extra time to uh, you know figure things out. And what ends up happening, we have yet to have someone where a judge has given extended grace period be able to start paying rent because it's just, it's built up to a point where people can't recover. And now it's doing a huge disservice to these folks because at the end of the day, we have a huge population now that has a high historic balance of previous landlord debt. And they probably will not be able to be rented to again for a or be able to rent for a long, long time, if ever, because they're such a risk candidate. So, in terms of asset management, looking for cons that tenants are pulling in terms of faking their identity to to rent, all the way to um, how do we manage these aging delinquencies and clear it off the books and get these properties. Stabilized and back-occupied one of the things that people are talking about is you know dip of occupancy across the country but the other thing to consider is a Lot of people are now having to move in with other people because they can't rent so that has a huge impact on occupancy overall The other things we look uh, have seen on the asset management side is with respect to the rising cost of construction we saw a huge increase yes it's cooled down it's not at the same rates as it was in uh, q2 and q3 of 2022 however it's not come down to pre covid levels so in terms of the cost of doing business yes we had appreciation on the rents but we also had it on the expense side so in terms of that rent you know income to expense ratio side of things we didn't see those huge jumps that you would have thought you would have seen with such high Rental escalation. So, those are a couple things. I think that we have um, some interesting statistics coming out about new builds. Mm -hmm. We have some of the highest permits. I think it's the second highest permits across the entire country for new construction. And everyone is saying how we're going to have this oversupply here shortly. I actually don't agree with that. I'm probably the only person that at least I know of (laughs) that is saying that and the reason I believe that is because I think the only way people can tell units coming online are permits pulled and most of these permits were pulled when debt was a lot cheaper. I think a lot of projects are put on hold because they can't refinance into this uh, stabilized debt and I think that a lot of projects are being sold at discounted prices. I know they are because I keep getting them in my inbox because these builders can't develop them anymore. So what happens with all of those properties that were quote unquote coming online? What is what? What is that going to look like? So, you know, we have a, a lot of things going on and recession, not recession. I mean, it depends who you ask. Um, are we on the verge of a crash? Are we on the verge of a change of global currency? I mean, U.S. Yeah. declining population. I mean, depending on where you're getting your resource, you might think the world is coming to an end. So... It's just a matter of managing what you can manage but being aware of the things that people are thinking and talking about because at the end of the day that's how people operate.
0: Yeah, and it, it's you know everything that you mentioned is is are things that all investors should be keeping their finger on the pulse of. And what's happening with the permits, uh, not just nationally, but in the areas that you invest in? Um, are you going to get hit with uh, with potentially an oversupply now if, if they're just building at a faster pace than people are moving in? Um, and I love what you said too about, you know, one of the big things that we're seeing with with all, like you had mentioned, the the rising debt and the the landlord debt that people were under is yes, now they're being forced to move in with with other family members, so that's why we're seeing now this rise in vacancy. Um, so that's something to consider too, is you know, are we seeing that rise in the vacancy then after a year or two years, a couple of years when they pay that debt down, they can now kind of move back out and and put demand into the markets that they're in. So there's so many moving pieces and you know, data is just data. you you sort of have to interpret it yourself and pull from different opinions and, and kind of have co- come to a conclusion that you're comfortable with. Um, like you said you could find you could find a conclusion anywhere. you could you could look for any story you want to be true and, and make it true whether it's positive or negative. So I love all the information that you put out here, you know, to all the investors listening, that asset manager role is going to be the most valuable role on the team here in the next few years. I truly believe that. Um, and so this episode was really, really timely and really important. So actually you mentioned a couple of resources before, but, um, for anybody out there listening, they want to get in touch with you for whatever reason, you know, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and who should reach out.
1: Yes. So you can follow me on Instagram at Bad Investor, B-A-D-A-S-H Investor. You can also uh, look up our company, which is bardowninvestments.com. We also have a coaching program. It's called Apartment Addicts. You can find out more information at apartmentaddicts.com.
0: Perfect listeners. We're going to put all those resources in the show notes. Of course, while you're there, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. Ashley, thanks so much for coming on. This has been awesome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, that's it for today's show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies, where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.